Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we've got a show lined up for you that's going to push us in a direction of really optimizing health of communities, optimizing health of tribes, optimizing health of families. It's a perspective that I think has been sadly left out of a lot of our dialogues when we look at a comprehensive approach to health. It has to do with really tapping in to resources that are right around us. To aid us in this dialogue is Brandilyn Barnett. Brandilyn, it's great to have you with us. Excited to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Brandilyn, some folks uh, who are tuning in, no doubt, today recognize your name. You're the author of a, a book that's been generating a lot of interest, I know, because it came across my desk, got my interest. You're also an angel investor. You're a technologist. You're building products to try to optimize social impact. I mean, just talking about you like that, a lot of people are scratching their heads and they're saying, what does this guy do? Tell us a little bit about yourself, Brandilyn. Yeah. So I do wear a few hats, which, you know, so many of us do today. It's kind of part of navigating the world that we live in. Um, but everything I do is mission-driven and purpose-driven. And at the core of it is uh, a drive to help to build products, processes, you know, whatever I can do to help resources move to people who need them. Um, and I want to do that in a way that engages everyone, not in a way that's, that's exclusive, in a way that is inclusive. Um, so that we can all build a better world together. So yes, I angel invest. I invest in businesses primarily founded by uh, men and women of color on the East Coast that have a social mission at their core. So these are social enterprises. Uh, I also help to build technologies, as you mentioned, for social impact, specifically giving, volunteering. Uh, I've built platforms for employee well-being or to help people connect to minority-owned small businesses, uh, both in Salesforce and in other contexts. Uh, I'm even a local elected official here in D.C., uh, and I just try to kind of stay true to my mission. Well, it's exciting. It's great to have you on the show. And, you know, a lot of people think, well, Native Americans in mean, Washington, D.C., a lot of the folks that, that uh, I rub shoulders with have a connection with the National Congress of American Indians, and they, of course, have uh, offices right there in D.C. So uh, a lot of folks uh, from Indian country coming in and out of issues dealing with legislative issues and other things. So although some of my listeners, when they hear D.C., Native Americans, they don't make an immediate connection, but it is a pretty active place for things happening in Indian country. So we're glad to have somebody with his feet on the ground right in our nation's capital and also trying to help uh, minority-owned businesses, uh, people with a mission, really accomplish their goals. Tell us a little bit about how you got on this trajectory, because this does not seem like the typical uh, what I want to be when I'm growing up that I hear from kids who are 8 or 10. Yeah, well, in a lot of ways, it is. I mean, for me, I grew up a giant nerd, so I loved science fiction. I loved Star Trek, and Captain Jean-Luc Picard, and the adventures of the folks of the, the next generation. And I loved Babylon 5. And what really struck me growing up, I grew up in Dallas, Texas with a single mother 
not a lot of resources. You know, I would see her crying at times, thinking about how she was going to pay the bills. And that juxtaposition of those worlds that I reveled in for escape, uh, those better worlds that we all love to imagine, and the actual real world that I encountered, which was full of poverty and full of want and full of people completely unable due to, the lack, due a, due to a lack of resources to meet and um, their full potential. And that juxtaposition really drove me and I wanted to make a change. So from a very early age, as soon as I um, began to think about what I wanted to do, I knew that making the world that we live in more like the worlds that I admired and aspired to and that inspired me became part of my goal. A lot of my book is about my uh, kind of journey on that with that goal in mind. A lot of it, I learned a lot of lessons along the way. I'll sort of put it that way. Uh, but I was very obsessed specifically with careers in the philanthropic space and in charity and philanthropy. But those are often not very inclusive spaces. They don't necessarily pay salaries that allow you to take care of your family, to take care of your dreams, even though the work can be so, so fulfilling. Um, but I was obsessed with that work, with that career path. And just over time, I realized after a lot of tragedy, a lot of loss, I lost my mother, I struggled to find job opportunities in that space. I, I just expanded my definition of what it means to have an impact and what kind of spaces you can have that impact in. And I kind of muscled my way in and now I get to do that work, but I don't do it in a traditional way. I support business owners because they hire and they, they help uh, to build and power dreams in our communities. Uh, I support platforms that can help people to give and volunteer and make an impact at scale. And so over time, I discovered that path, but in a lot of ways, the roots are that kind of childhood musing of you know, why don't we have a federation? How can we have a federation of planets when we have people who don't have food to eat, like me and my mom, or who can't have a place to live? There's a disconnect between some of the things we aspire to and how we act in the real world that I want to be part of connecting or correcting, rather. Well, I think it's exciting that you've taken some of the pain of your own life and basically said, I'm going to channel that into not only improving my situation, but helping other people improve theirs. The title of your book, of course, is Dreams Deferred. Tell us about the title and the subtitle and why that's so significant as far as our discussion today. Yeah, so I, the book is really about my struggles before, during, and just after the 08 recession. You know, with that dream that I just mentioned in mind, I took a job working right out of college with an NGO, a non, an international nonprofit that really believed in me and trusted me enough, even though I was just out of college, to send me all over the world, evaluating and creating programs. Went to Costa Rica, Laos, Thailand, Jamaica. Uh, and I was able to interact with some incredible change makers in each of those places who inspired me. But the truth is I made a pittance and I struggled just mm. to pay my student loans while also helping my mother with her rent and her bills and growing expenses as she dealt with health issues. But I was persistent and I wanted to do work that mattered and was meaningful to communities that helped others like I've been helped. So instead of switching careers, I just doubled down on that dream. And that's what the book is about. It's, I wrote it for really two reasons. The first reason is that going into the, it, it was something that, that was on my mind for years to share that story. But as we started to go into COVID, I really sat down and saw that so many people were losing loved ones. So many people were in fear. So many people were losing their jobs, their livelihoods, their dreams. And it all came rushing back to me, my own experience of almost, you know, at certain points being homeless, wandering. I begin the book with a story about wandering the streets of San Francisco, looking for a spot to sleep for the night um, because I couldn't afford mm. to get home on the public transportation even. 
So my first reason was in light of, you know, how many people might need inspiration. I wanted to talk about in a very genuine way, my struggles, my experience, my story, so that if there's someone out there dealing with that kind of struggle, with that kind of uh, economic struggle, as well as personal struggle and loss, that they could see maybe in my story some hope. The other reason was that I wanted to start and be part of a broader conversation that's been led um, by a lot of Native voices like Ed Edgar Villanueva, who's someone who I, you know, who has really inspired me over the years, who wrote Decolonizing uh, Capital. And I wanted to be a part of that conversation to say that for those organizations and institutions like philanthropy, um, even public sector institutions, and even technology, when we say we're building some tech that's going to change the world, it should not be hard for people of color and for diverse voices to be a part of that work, to be heard. Mm. And it is. And my story kind of demonstrates that. And I want to be part of a discussion around how do we make social impact more inclusive? Um, and I've been kind of honored to be a part of that, but there are a lot of folks trying to push that work forward. Well, this is an exciting uh, perspective. And I'll tell you, I know it's resonating with a lot of my listeners. Brandilyn, let's uh, try to make this as practical as we can. As people are listening to this dialogue, I think a lot of people are saying, yeah, I can relate to this guy. I mean, this is a lot like what I experienced. You've got their ear. But let's bring it down to, say, a, a tribal level. Let's say someone is listening right now. Maybe they're a, uh, on a, a tribal council. Maybe they're a tribal health worker. And they're listening. They're saying, well, it sounds like this guy is this Brandel and Barnett. He's doing some interesting stuff. But, but how does this make a difference for us here in, uh, in the Southwest or in the Northern Plains? You know, how can we translate this into our rural setting? Uh, what would you say to someone like that? I would say that a couple of things. The first thing is that we need to understand that impact can be driven by everyone. So I'll use an example from here in the community that I represent in Washington, D.C. as what's called an advisory neighborhood commissioner. So I represent about 2,000 of my neighbors uh, in a district called a 1A06 here in D.C. It's the equivalent of the House of Representatives for D.C. if D.C. was a state, which it should be but that's a separate topic. And if you look around our community, there's a lot of need. There's also a lot of talent, a lot of people with expertise to offer as mentors, uh, a lot of people with the time to go out and volunteer, whether that's cleaning streets. And yet when we don't get involved and when we don't engage, when we see the kind of process of involving others in social impact as something that belongs to far off entities like philanthropic institutions or nonprofits, that can be very limiting. But in this community, what if I ask questions that others in, who are among your listeners can ask, such as, what if we took all the different opportunities to give and volunteer and support, support causes in our community? And without waiting for anyone else to do it, what if we made a one-stop shop so that anyone who wants to help and engage with causes knows exactly where to go? I help to build solutions like that that are easy to stand up. And that's one way that you can kind of get past this idea that only these nonprofit institutions or philanthropic institutions or government institutions or multilateral institutions can act. No, with the kinds of technologies and tools and networks that we can create today, we can drive action, engagement, and change in our communities more directly than ever before. That's the first thing I would say. I would also say we have to be part of a process of understanding that a lot of how we see social impact has been driven by that small set of institutions, organizations, and individuals. Giving and driving change and you know, making the world a better place 
is not just something that the Bill Gateses and the Warren Buffetts of the world can do with their billions of dollars. There are actually ways that we can give back and make the world better by supporting local businesses in our community so that they can hire more of our neighbors, by buying products that we know are socially um, conscious, that from companies that treat their employees well, and that respect the environment and the world that's necessary for them to continue to exist and to thrive, just like our community needs our environment and the world that we live in to be able to thrive. And so being conscious about the choices that we make on an everyday basis of who we're going to engage with as customers, as stakeholders in all the different ways that we participate in our communities is something that each of us can do on an everyday basis. And then the most important thing I would say is none of us are alone in that process. There are lots of voices out there that are willing to help. There are lots of people who, if just asked, will mobilize themselves to be a part of all that work uh, and all those kinds of considerations to help drive impact. And it's, I, I guess, you know, the kind of motto that's come out of all of this work and the book for me is this idea that I want to make people understand that philanthropy is at its core about helping to make the world a better place by moving resources to people who need them. And so what I've been saying repeatedly and what I would say to anyone who's thinking, you know, how do I act on what this guy's talking about? is just this idea that philanthropy is something we need to take back as ordinary people. Mm -hmm. And to say that philanthropy belongs to everyone and impact can happen anywhere, in any setting. And we all need to be confident and conscious about that reality, um, which is more of the case every single day. Well, Brandilyn, I think you've made a great case for uh, the perspective that you've been cultivating, that you've been putting into practice. And we want to talk about a lot of practical examples that, uh, that illustrate this theme throughout the course of our show today. For individuals, though, who are tuning in, they're saying, boy, I want to tap more into what Brandilyn is talking about, how do they actually get a copy of your book or maybe interact with you even personally? Yeah. So first, I always welcome personal interaction. Anyone can find me on Twitter at Brandilyn B. Uh, you can also reach me uh, through BrandilynBarnett.com, which will give you information on a lot of the different programs that I'm involved in, technologies that I build. Um, and the book can be found, Dreams Deferred, Recession Struggle, and the Quest for a Better World on all the major retailers. So it's pretty easy to find with just a quick Google search. Okay, Brandilyn Barnett. We're going to be back with more from Brandilyn because we've got a lot of practical things that can make a difference in Indian country or wherever you're at today. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We've got a lot more coming up. Stay tuned right after these important messages. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong. We are resilient. And we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Brandilyn Barnett is my guest. He's a popular author, philanthropist, angel investor. I mean, the list goes on and on. He, uh, as you heard in our previous segment, if you've been with us, also is in a legislative role, if you will, if I'm not being too liberal with my adjectives, uh, Brandilyn, there in the D.C. area. Thank you so much for carving time out of your busy schedule to join us. Thank you, David. So let's talk about some real-life stories, people you've worked with, or things from your own experience that help us to make, I think, these very important, these powerful philosophical concepts real for us. Yeah. So one of the first things I'd highlight, because we have spoken to the concept of how philanthropy doesn't just belong to the wealthy and can instead be a tool for all of us, I helped to build a platform called GrowFund uh, several years ago, working with a nonprofit uh, called Global Impact, based here in the Washington, D.C. area in Alexandria. And the goal of that organization was to take a tool that's become very popular among the wealthy called the Donor Advised Fund. It's a very controversial tool. And the way it works is that it lets individuals put money into a fund. They receive a tax deduction, much like they're donating to a nonprofit. Uh, but instead of the funds going directly to a nonprofit, they instead get housed in an account, like a bank account for your charity. And then from that charity or from that account, you can then issue grants, much like a big foundation um, to any charity. But you get the tax deduction at the time you put the money in. And so these vehicles have exploded in popularity to the point that several years ago, uh, the United Way Worldwide was for decades the largest charity in the world until they were dethroned, if you will, from that seat, from that ranking by Fidelity Charitable which primarily builds these donor-advised funds, and it's now the largest charity in the world. And so looking out at that landscape, I and others said, this is potentially a very interesting tool to allow people to put money into an account, 
get connected to and strategic about how they give and engage with causes. Um, but there's a big catch. Typically, those accounts at the time cost as much as $10,000 to even be established in the first place. Hmm. So they were almost exclusively the tool of the rich and the wealthy. And so what we did is we created mygrowfund.org. And uh, I'm no longer employed by the organization or anything, but I very much still believe in the cause of allowing people to kind of access that tool, not for $10,000, but through our innovations, the technologies we did, some uh, things we were able to do innovatively with how the, the funds were financed uh, on the back end. We brought the cost of creating the kind, that kind of account down to just $1. Uh, so when my wow. mother passed away, uh, she left me, for example, a small pension. I get about $75 a month. And now I'm able to take that and put that into my grow fund and it's there. And then at the end of the year, I sit down and I'm able to be very strategic about where I give, what kinds of organizations I want to support. And I'm doing it not just for tax deduction, but because it becomes a part of my being, a part of how I want to not only remember her and honor her and all that she did for me, um, but also uh, just a way to give back and feel better about my place in helping to make the world better. And so that's just one example of the kind of initiative that I've been involved in. And anyone who wants to check that out can go and see it's, it's free. It costs um, nothing to create an account uh, with as little as $1, you can start saving a day. And I still use mine. But uh, when you think about kind of practical tools, that's the kind of thing that I've tried to help build to empower people in, you know, seizing their role in being philanthropists, uh, seeing themselves in that light. So let me see if I've got the website. Is it simply my, M-Y, growfund.org? That's right. So basically, for someone listening in right now, maybe they are someone who is a, a regular donor for some nonprofits, but they're listening to you and they're saying, well, you know, I don't do this systematically. Uh, maybe I'd like to set up an account in my grow fund. So this is actually an account where they're getting a tax deduction for it. Is that correct? Right. For every contribution you make into your account, you're getting a tax deduction, just as if you were donating to a charity. And the beauty of it is, and what excited me about it was, I grew up in a community where, you know, there was a lot of poverty. I grew up in the Oak Cliff neighborhood of Dallas, for any of your listeners who might be familiar. There was not a lot of means within my family or in what I saw around me. And so part of me always thought of myself up until a certain point as a recipient of charity. Mm. as a recipient and beneficiary of the work of nonprofits. And what excited me about the vision of a platform like GrowFund and some of the other work I've done that I could speak to was imagining this world where you could have families, a mother, a father, or just a mother, if it's a family like mine, sitting down with their children. And the kids could take a piece of their allowance and put just a few dollars a month into one of these donor advice funds. They understand then how charity and nonprofits work in our world, how they can play a part in their growth as people, as individuals. And they can begin to think as families about where they give and how they give back and who they give to, what organizations and why. And the idea of using that tool as a way to kind of engender that kind of thinking about, we are not just recipients, we are participants in this philanthropic process. That is what excites me about initiatives like that. And it's part of why, you know, my mission has become that idea that, you know, philanthropy belongs to everyone because it's in acknowledging that that's how we all recognize that we deserve a seat at the table. I really think this is exciting because I know, of course, in Indian country, 
you know, whether it's because of treaty obligations or whether it's because of the you know, number of uh, philanthropic organizations that have operated in Indian country historically, you know, some of them actually are, you know, native founded organizations, yet it is very easy to look outside of oneself and say, how can I avail myself or how can I help my tribe tap into these uh, funds that other philanthropists have provided? And I really see you doing something really powerful, Brandilyn, because you're changing the dialogue. It's not just uh, any individual, even if they're struggling, don't have to see themselves as only a recipient. They can actually see themselves as a change agent. So I, I, what have you noticed when people catch this concept? Have you noticed some, some change in just how they relate to the world, how they see themselves? Tell us a, a few illustrations of that. Yeah, I mean, I think what I noticed is that people begin to say, okay, I can be part of changing the world. And then they ask themselves, how? Mm. And when they ask how, they start to think more proactively about what kind of world, if now, if now that I think of myself as someone who can change it, what do I want that change to look like? And for me, I've seen that uh, most visibly in students and young people I've worked with and mentored. That's one of the ways that I like to give back simply as a volunteer. So I recently spoke uh, at a university uh, in northwestern Pennsylvania, a branch campus of the University of Pittsburgh, to a whole class of students who were learning about social entrepreneurship. And I think key to this idea of seeing ourselves as participants in the process of making the world better is recognizing that, to put it quite simply, the idea when 20 years ago, if you said, I want to change the world, or I want to find an institution that changes the world, someone that you know would likely, most likely point to the big philanthropy, a place like the Gates Foundation, or the Ford Foundation, or they point to a government institution. All of that has changed. And now we are really realizing that change is a choice, you know, that we can all make. And so those students were taking a course in social entrepreneurism, because they've come to a realization that just the products that we choose to build, how we choose to get them to market, how we choose to source the materials that go into them, how we choose to treat the people that we work with or who work for us. Um, all of those decisions are part of making the world a better place. And we all make them on an everyday basis. And so from a very practical standpoint, you know, when I stand in front of those students and tell them this idea, I see them light up and start thinking about, well, I had an idea for business. I want to be an entrepreneur. Maybe it's opening a, you know, one of the students wanted to create a beauty care product. Um, mm. Some of the other students wanted to create a platform because they were saying it's really hard for kids like us to know what we want to do when we're, when we're grown up uh, because we don't get taught a lot of the options that we have in front of us. And so what I say to them is that think of yourselves as people who can drive change. That means that when you're thinking about that beauty care product you can launch, you can be part of making the world better by just asking decisions as you build that company and you, you build that organization of where are we sourcing the materials? How am I going mm. to treat people? And I can do that from day one. A lot of the systems we created have led us to believe that you can't do those things and still build a profitable business or still build something that's going to be worthwhile. And that's simply not the case. Impact needs to live everywhere. And so that's the other, you know, when I tell people, that's how they light up. They generally start to think about how do I, so if impact lives anywhere and if I can help to make a difference by thinking of myself almost as a philanthropist or as a philanthropist, no matter who I am, then I see those faces light up to say, 
what does that mean for what I'm doing in my daily life? The decisions I'm making about what I buy or my dreams for what kind of business I might want to build or for what kind of place I might want to work for, what kind of cause I might want to put my name behind. And that's what's been fulfilling to me. This uh, Brandilyn, I think, is really connecting a lot of dots, uh, causing light bulbs to go off, whatever analogy you want to use in many of my listeners' minds. We want to talk more about this. I know we've probably got questions in people's minds about just this whole model you've mentioned. We want to dig a little bit deeper into that, but we want to talk about some other really life-changing examples in our next segment. Before we go there, one more time, if people want to get a hold of you, tap into your resources, how do they do it? So they can find me on, at Brandolin B on Twitter. Um, I'm also, there's not a lot of Brandolins, so they're welcome to find me and reach out on LinkedIn as well. Uh, also, BrandolinBarnett.com can lead you to my book, which is available at all the major retailers. Um, so yes, and I welcome any outreach at all. Okay, and I've jotted down Brandolin, B-R-A-N-D-O-L-O-N. Have I got that right? That's right. Okay, we're going to be back with more from Brandolin Barnett. Don't go away. I'm Dr. David DeRose. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov support. That's samhsa.gov support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. 
Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of the broadcast. I'm Dr. David DeRose with Brandilyn Barnett. We're speaking about some things that can really transform our perspective when it comes to philanthropy. It's not just something that someone can do for you, do for your tribe, do for your community. It's what you can actually do right in your own community and beyond. Brandilyn, we've been speaking about some really innovative things, and I'll be honest with you, I had never heard of mygrowfund.org until you mentioned it on today's show. So I'm just thinking some of the questions that folks might be asking. They might be saying, well, hey, I want to start putting, even if it's only $5 a month, into this account. I'm going to go on to mygrowfund.org. I'm going to start putting $5 in there, and then I'm going to be looking around my community when I see someone who needs some some money, I'm going to direct it to them. I'm guessing it might not be that simple. It probably has to go through a nonprofit or something. Is is that right? That's right. For a tool like a donor advised fund, which GrowFund or MyGrowFund.org is, you have to disperse those funds as a grant to a registered charity. So uh, typically that's going to be a U.S. 501c3. Uh, there are also, once you're in the platform and you started to engage, you can do a quick search. Uh, for organizations in your community, but there have been a lot of innovations that I've, that have excited me that have helped people to be able to uh, give to individuals in a more direct way. And what's really interesting to think about there is how the idea of again, I, I kind of mentioned this in passing before, but for so long, the idea of what is philanthropy was driven by those same individuals, by wealthy individuals, wealthy institutions. But when you look at how People have given resources to those who need them, which is how I define philanthropy in especially communities of color. It often has been philanthropic activity that's directed at others in your family. It's helping your nephew to study Mm. um, for an upcoming exam. It's things like community organizations where people will give to um, help kids get access to lunch when they're in school uh, who are in their neighborhood. And a lot of that does not go through the traditional structure of the 501c3 registered charity. And so for anyone who's interested in giving back in that way, a lot of innovations have taken place um, in the crowdfunding space, where you probably among your listeners have heard about instances of people who've lost their homes, say, in a disaster, and will get onto a platform like GoFundMe, and they'll be able to stand up um, a site, and others will be able to go, they'll be able to give money. Um, But what's so important to remember there is that money is only one of the ways that we have to help each other. We also have expertise. We have empathy. Um, We have a lot of different things that we can give no matter our means. And so when we talk about how you can give back, that's something I try to help everyone to remember. It's not just about giving money. So GrowFund is a tool for that, but I've also built other platforms um, like employee engagement platforms. Uh, Some of the leading ones are Salesforce uh, Philanthropy Cloud, um, as well as uh, platforms like joindeed.com or Deed which help people to go in, uh, usually connected to their employer, um, but also there are other ways to engage um, where you can you know, give, you can volunteer, you can just give back by learning about what's happening in your community. So it's important for everyone to remember that it's not just money. There's lots of different needs in our communities and lots of different ways that we can give back today. But that point you mentioned that I like to drive home is that anyone can do that and they can do it today. I really appreciate how you keep expanding the dialogue and expanding our perspectives on this topic. So if we come back to the funding situation, we've got several different options, and I think a lot of folks are very familiar with things like GoFundMe. Typically, though, am I understanding correctly, those are not, for someone who's looking at a a tax deduction, those are often not tax deductible. Is that correct? That's correct. 
So really what we're talking about is there's several different things. I mean, different ways, uh, whether it's in-kind, whether it's actually cash donations, where we can help people. But I like this dialogue because we're talking about really empowering everyone to say, I am a change agent. I'm not just a recipient. I'm not just a victim historically. Uh, I am someone right now who can be changing the world. With that all in mind, I know you've done a lot with cultivating vision. And to me, that seems uh, to be kind of one of the driving things behind your book, this whole finding meaning, finding purpose. Help us to understand a little bit more of that. And if you would, Brandlin, think in terms of maybe a young Native listener who might be tuning in right now. Uh, maybe they've really never gotten very far away from the, the reservation or from uh, their kind of family structure. They're thinking about further education. They're wondering how they can give back to their tribe and their community. What kind of things would you say to a, a young person like that as far as finding meaning and purpose and being able to really focus their energies as far as giving back? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would say is don't do what I did. Uh, when I was younger and I had a lot of those same thoughts, I became almost, you know, borderline obsessed with a very specific set of careers and job titles. Uh, I wanted to work for a nonprofit. I, I wanted to do specifically international NGO work and go abroad and help to build programs, build wells, all of the kind of typical things we think of as being associated with uh, USAID or other kinds of uh, government support for development uh, in nations around the world. I was obsessed. Um, <laughs> so, and a lot of my book recounts that, but to the point that I didn't see this broader tapestry that was being woven all around me, uh, these broader opportunities to give back in different ways. Uh, in ways that worked better for me that I've now settled into. So the first thing I would say is think about the core of the change you want to see. Now that you know that you are someone that can drive change, what kind of change do you want to see? And then what I, what I would say is make a map, a literal map of the organizations, the people, the institutions, the thinkers who are making change in that way. And just start by drawing yourself closer to the points on that map that you create. Reach out to people to just say, hey, I'd like to learn about how you've built this social enterprise that's, you know, getting these sustainable products into the hands of people uh, or helping people to cut back on waste and be more sustainable. Um, it may be finding out about uh, institutions that you never thought of as driving impact, like a technology company. Um, but you now see that, wow, by being a company that is putting people first and thinking about the benefits that we offer, the way that we support community, the way that we help people to continue their education, being a part of that in some way helps to drive positive change. So I would say get to the core of the change you want to see now that you, once you see yourself and understand that you are that change maker, and then make that map of who's doing it and draw yourself in, get immersed into that world and understand that it's not a world that belongs to any one set of people, organizations or titles or tax statuses. It's something that can happen anywhere and needs to, because a lot of the unfortunate truth is that when we look around the nonprofit sector, for example, 80% uh, of nonprofits are white led. And there is nothing you know, wrong with any organization being led by any person of any kind. But there is a systemic kind of historic issue of a lot of those organizations not being necessarily diverse in terms of how they represent the communities they seek to serve. And that's true, not only if you look at racial diversity, but think about yourself if you're in a rural community, 
and an organization, a big philanthropy or institution comes in and says, you know, we're going to make your community better. Well, then you look at the board of that institution, you look at the staff, you look at all of the people who are stakeholders there, the funders, and none of them are from the community that they're trying to change. How can you make something better when you don't truly understand it at the deepest level? There's always going to be a challenge there. And so understanding that there's been that barrier within the traditional spaces of charity and philanthropy, that's why this message is all the more important for everyone to be able to see that they have a seat at the table of making their communities better and that that can happen anywhere. But it does take some strategy. So, Brandilyn, I'm putting myself in the position of maybe a tribal council person, someone else that has a tribal leadership position. They've been tuning into this show and they're hearing you and they're saying, I really like what, what Brandilyn's doing, what he's talking about. How would it help someone like that to touch base with you, your organization? Is there something that strategically you could help, say, a a given tribe, say, we can cultivate this vision among your tribal members? Tell us a little bit about how you might see that happening. I think the truth of the world we live in, and this is why I've become really passionate about the technology space, because technology is leading to a lot of ill-thought, bad things in the world, Um, you know, not to name drop Facebook, just as an example, where a lot of the consequences of what's been built have not been fully thought through. Um, But what I would say to any of those leaders in communities is that technology can be a great ally for you in the battle to make things better. Um, And being very specific, I would say that it can be a place to engage in good. We have a lot of platforms that let people engage in misinformation, that let people engage in bad, that let people engage in toxic, there are platforms. Uh, one of them that recently has really caught my eye is Deed, uh, joindeed.com. Um, but there are others that let you have a one-stop shop for everyone in your community to be able to go to say when they see themselves as change makers, when they want to get back, when they know that they have the power to make a difference, where do they go to engage? That's really your question as a leader. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I would say one of the first and most important things you can do is don't just send out volunteer opportunities or uh, stories or ideas in an ad hoc way. You know, someone gets an email here or hears about something at a meeting. Instead, create a one-stop shop using technology for good so that anyone who says, well, this could be better. You know, my streets could be cleaner or I could mentor. I feel like these, these kids could use a voice like mine to really understand the world a bit better. Stand up a one-stop shop using technology like a deed or a Salesforce philanthropy cloud to be able to, and there are many others as well, unfortunately, I can't name all of them, but if you do a quick search for these engagement platforms, anyone can stand them up depending on the solution that you're looking at. And I would be happy to provide advice on some specifics that might work for a given situation. But that means that anyone who asks that question, they have somewhere to go that is very clear to them to know where can I find an opportunity to volunteer, to mentor, to connect to a local school, to learn about a cause, make it as easy as possible for them to find all of that in one place. And in that way, we begin to use technology for good, uh, the same technologies that have led to a lot of bad things that we're trying to grapple with as a society. Um, But we can begin to kind of shift that narrative. Uh, And I'm happy to be a resource. And there are others out there as well that I could point to uh, for anyone trying to tackle that challenge. And I'm doing it myself as an elected official here in D.C., Tremendous, Brandilyn. So let's get uh, make sure that we give out some of these key places, key contacts. You mentioned uh, one of these platforms, an engagement platform by name. What was the one you had mentioned? Make sure uh, we get that for everyone. Well, I mentioned Deed, uh, joindeed.com. 
is a platform that was originally created as a place for folks in New York City to be able to answer that question for themselves. I want to give back. Where do I go to volunteer? There are other platforms like volunteermatch.com, which a lot of your listeners might be familiar with. Uh, so there are quite a few out there. Uh, those are a couple that have stood out to me over the years. Um, but there's a lot of folks doing incredible work. Um, and if you are a leader, just like I would say the same thing to a leader as I would to those students, make a map of this space and of these tools and of these resources and make yourself closer to them as you try to learn how you can act on some of these broader principles that we're speaking to. Great. Brandilyn, as we're uh, winding down in this segment, how's the best way for someone to directly interact with you? The best ways to interact with me are probably through Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, so on Twitter, you can find me at Brandilyn B. Uh, on LinkedIn, you can find me through my name, Brandilyn Barnett. Um, and for all of that, you can go to BrandilynBarnett.com. Uh, that'll take you to uh, allow you to go to my book to learn about my angel investing through a vehicle I call Democratized Ventures, uh, as well as all the work I do. And you'll be able to reach out to me directly. And I try always to be responsive. Tremendous. So I've got Brandolyn Barnett. That's B-R-A-N-D-O-L-O-N Barnett, B-A-R-N-E-T-T. That's right. So if I can remember BrandolynBarnett.com, go to LinkedIn, I can find you. That's right. Not a lot of Brandolins out there. Very good. We're going to step away just briefly. We're going to come back with our final segment. You don't want to miss it. More from Brandolyn Barnett right after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org.
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome to our final segment of today's edition of the broadcast. Dr. David DeRose with Brandel and Barnett. We've been speaking about ways that, well, literally, you can change the world. I know it may sound like, uh, well, something that's been trite and expressed many times, and you might say, oh, come on, really? But if you've been with us from the top of the hour, I don't think you're probably saying that anymore. Brandolin is basically helping each one of us see that we can be change agents. Brandolin, I know that was one of the purposes that you wrote your book, uh, and it's a book that uh, we've mentioned already on the show. I've got it uh, here in front of me, Dreams Deferred, Recession, Struggle, and the Quest for a Better World. Folks can get that book by uh, connecting with you at brandolinbarnett.com. But you told us earlier in the show that there was another reason you wrote that book. You want to give people hope. You've been through a lot in your life, and you want to really lift people up who might be going through some similar things. So tell us a little bit more about that, because I know there's a lot of people struggling who are just uh, looking for some hope today. Yeah. So I wrote my book really thinking about a specific time in my life when I was fortunate to be able to go to college, something I never really thought that I'd be able to do. Only one person in my family had done it to that point, which was my mother. Um, but yet I went off and like many people, I you know was full of dreams and hope. And I graduated into the 2008 recession and I could not find a job that paid me more than $10 an hour. Uh, I struggled to pay my student loans. My mother always struggled as a single mom to pay bills, to take care of me, um, despite all the hard work that she put in. And so you know, one of the first things I remember in terms of uh, understanding the concept of economics was just hearing her cry about bills and realizing that, oh, money is, is really important and it's scarce. And so graduating into that environment, I, there were many times where I almost lost hope. I recount moments in the book where I almost ended my own life, just thinking that mm. I, you know, there was no hope for me to ever escape poverty. And so at one point, my mother became ill. I was completely uh, powerless uh, to save her. She passed away about 10 years ago today um, in the midst of all these struggles. And I felt like a loser. And at that time, social media was growing. So I looked around at folks I had graduated with um, and everyone always looks like they're having the best life when you look at their social media. Um, and so I felt I had nothing. And yet I continued to strive because I wanted to, I felt deep down that if I just continued to persevere, I could find a way to be, uh, to live my dreams and to be part of work that made the world better. Those things that had inspired me. But yeah, my mom passed. I sent off at one point hundreds of job applications and I felt like no one wanted me. But I like to remind folks now through my own story that you can make it through. And I know a lot of uh, folks have been through similar experiences during COVID-19, unfortunately. There was both an economic cost as well as a cost in lives that we all paid, leaving aside a lot of the bad decision-making and all of that. The truth is that that's the world that we live in, and those are the consequences that we all had to face. And so when people are going through that, I hope that my story, among many others, can be one way that they can understand that there's hope, that 
through struggle, all it takes is one job offer, one opportunity, one vision, one person to believe in you, um, and you are not alone, and that there is hope for something better for yourself. Um, but also that as you do that, you don't have to step on others to get to the next place where you want to travel in your life and in your journey and your story. You can do that by seeing yourself as that change maker and by being a part of a process that is actually going to be the great project, I think, of our time, which is how do we reorient our social structures so that doing good isn't something that, you know, the wealthy do to get a tax break once a year. Instead, it's infused into every single part of how we make decisions about what we buy, where we go, what we do in our daily lives, whether that's giving or volunteering or just learning and other behavior. You can get to a better place and bring others along. And I want to be part of the proof of that. There's so much proof of it. Uh, so I want to highlight others and also be part of it myself. What I love about your story, Brandolyn, is you were there. You were at, you know, some people would say rock bottom. I mean, a lot of people would say, I mean, if you had taken your own life, a lot of people could say, well, I mean, look at what all he was dealing with. But you had the presence of mind to realize that just because things didn't look all that bright at the time, that wasn't a reason to throw in the towel because you just kept pressing. And I I hear you saying, never give up. Don't give up because there are opportunities waiting for you. People need you to make a difference. And, and what's exciting about your story is, I mean, a lot of people could have said, well, you were a victim of your circumstances, but you didn't let that define you. I mean, if you let it define you, you'd say, well, you know, just give up. You kept cultivating that vision of doing something to make a difference. And now, I mean, here you're speaking just on our show alone to thousands of people across the country and beyond uh, about your story. You're encouraging people. You're pointing them in the right direction. Now, I want to take this just a little bit further because you alluded to something in the program earlier, and it sounded like you had some real housing insecurity at one point, too. I know that comes close to home to many people today. Talk to us about that. So I've experienced housing insecurity at a few different points in my life. Uh, the first time was actually my sophomore year of uh, high school. My mother had been laid off, and for some time she used all that was left of her retirement savings to kind of maintain our lifestyle. But at a certain point, she couldn't find a job, I think, due uh, something I understand better now than I did as a teenager, uh, to age discrimination, I think, in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, she was too old to get hired at roles similar to what she had held before. Uh, so she ended up working in retail, but it didn't pay enough. And we eventually lost our home and we stayed with different relatives throughout the rest of my time in high school. And when I was in college, my mom continued to live that way while I was able to stay in a dorm through the, due to help from scholarships. And then uh, the other experience I recount directly in the book was um, at my time in San Francisco. Um, of course, I got an unpaid internship in one of the most expensive cities in the world, again, trying to pursue my dream of being part of the social impact work. Um, and there was a point where I had you know, $6 in my bank account, enough to get to work, but not to get home. Um, wow. But I knew that I had to uh, get there to have any chance of pursuing my dreams. Uh, so I took a bet. I went into the city knowing I couldn't necessarily get back, spent the day trying to work alternatively hopping on phone calls, hustling with the bank to try to get the money that I'd need to um, return home where I was sleeping on a friend's couch. Um, those kinds of experiences made me very aware of two things. One, 
that one of the best ways we can help people is by providing them with opportunities. And that's one of the reasons I believe in angel investing. And I believe uh, in helping people to build businesses and build wealth that can employ others and help them if they treat those people the right way, especially. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also began to understand just how much that that can impede your ability to see yourself in the right light, your ability to think, your ability to be strategic. Um, I subsisted on bean and cheese burritos and the occasional Totino's pizza. Uh, that's all I could afford. And so those kinds of experience uh, really, really shaped me. But one of the things that, you know, when I tell this story and then what I want to drive home is that I didn't do it alone. I really don't want to be part of the whole idea of pulling myself up by my bootstraps or any mm. of that because so many people and organizations and institutions through a lot of different ways, sometimes just believing in me and telling me that I should keep going on, that I had some potential, sometimes giving me, giving me money to buy a meal. So many people helped me to get where I am. And I think that's what we need to focus on. How can we create better systems so that those circumstances, uh, that my story is more rare uh, and stories like mine and, and many of your listeners, that's really the end goal for me. I love this picture of uh, really seeing yourself in community. And I know this really connects with with Native values. It's kind of really a a social responsibility, a collective responsibility. And it's not just something i got to do on my own, but you're exactly right. As you alluded to earlier, you have to make the decision that you're going to keep putting that one foot in front of the other. You're going to spend those last $6 and get into that place that seems to be offering some opportunity, even though you don't know where it's going to lead. Brandilyn, you've really been an inspiration. You're doing some great work. You've encouraged me. You've encouraged my listeners. I know that there's a lot of folks who want to connect with you. They want to pick up your book. They want to learn from things that you have on your website. Tell us a little bit more about what your website is, how they get there, and what they can find. Yes, you can find me at brandilynbarnett.com. Uh, that'll lead you to all the different hats that I wear. You can learn about my angel investing as well as my public speaking um, and a lot of the work that I'm doing in the technology space to make giving, volunteering, that sort of thing more, more simple. Uh, you can also reach out to me directly on Twitter at Brandilyn D or find me on LinkedIn. Um, and then, you know, finally, you can find Dreams Deferred, Recession, Struggle, and the Quest for a Better World at any major retailer with just a quick Google search. Wonderful. Brandilyn, thank you so much. Again, the spelling of Brandilyn's name, B-R-A-N-D-O-L-O-N, Last name is Barnett, B-A-R-N-E-T-T. Brandlin, thanks again. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. We do have to run, but hopefully today's show has encouraged you. It's given you some vision for where you can go from here. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.